in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my undisputed co-host, Patrick Fister. Hey, Mark. How are you doing today? <laughs> We're doing awesome. And you and I have gotten to this weird little thing where you need something that I have, but then I gave it away three weeks before you asked me that you needed it. It's my it. superpower. It's three weeks too late, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So several times Patrick's reached out to me, with, hey, do you have this, that, or the other? And I go, yeah, but I already gave it away a week or two ago. <laughs> and it's become almost like I don't want to say a tradition, but it's, it's become repeatable and almost forecastable at this point. <laughs> yeah. So maybe what I need to start doing is before I give away something to yeah. somebody else. Hey, do you need this you keyboard? Hey, do you need yeah. this mouse? <laughs> yeah. And so speaking of stuff like that, it's one of the things you can do to support the show. I know it's a horrible segue is leave <laughs> us a review. It takes all of three minutes. It is the number one way that you can help Patrick and I support the show. And we got a great review. Uh, we got a, a review from GVT from the USA, Wellsite Podcast. Just listen to the Wellsite Podcast and the amazing advancements this company is making and bringing the conversations, conversational AI to the oil and gas industry, a new gold standard in process improvement and elimination of waste and cost reduction. The host, Mark and Patrick, that's us, once again, lead an informative, entertaining discussion on a transformative technology. Great job, guys, and keep them coming. And we didn't even pay him to do this or her. I've actually had a couple of people reach out to me about that Wellsite podcast. So if you haven't listened to that one, it's uh, apparently it was pretty popular. Yeah. So maybe Patrick will put a link in the show notes back to that one in case yeah. people want to listen to it. And today we have a guest. We actually have Benjamin Cook. How are you doing today, Benjamin? Hey, Mark. Glad to be here. Yeah. And, and you and I have, uh, did a Starbucks meeting a while back, and you showed yeah. me something that I didn't think was real. You showed me a ceramic coating, which I'm somewhat familiar with, on steel. But it didn't involve 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit in an oven. Yeah, that's right. Our, our room temperature classified technology basically sprays on like paint, but it atomically attaches to the iron atoms in steel and classifies it at room temperature. Now, the, the interesting thing about it is we use corrosion to fix corrosion. So we use a natural biomimetic. We follow Mother Nature's natural corrosion instinct. We want things to corrode. We love oxygen. So when, when that process starts... The first oxygen atom is provided by our ceramic, so so the iron thinks it's bonding to atmospheric oxygen, but then it's dead-ended into a ceramic ceramic system, and that, that glassifies the room temperature. So all the energy that naturally gets lost in corrosion goes into making that ceramic. The ceramic is immortal. It's a, a zirconia aluminate, so it's as hard as a, a gemstone, and it also stays a permanent pH of 12. So you can't scratch it. You can't damage it. Corrosion can never happen on that steel again. Yeah. So I need to back you way up. So part of our audience may not understand the chemical reaction that corrosion is, especially with iron and steel. So let's talk about that a little bit at a high level and about how oxygen plays a part in that. So when iron corrodes, what actually happens? So when iron corrodes, the uh, iron wants to go back to its natural state, which is an iron oxide in the ground, right? So that's its lowest, that's its lowest energy state. That's where it's stable. So you, you have about two kilowatt hours per pound of steel. All that energy wants to come up. I mean, that, that's a lot of energy. You've got a light bulb on for 100 hours, right, with just one pound of steel. So 
all that energy is coming up. And that's why they call iron, that's why they look for surface tolerance, because there's so much energy coming up out of the steel that it just bubbles up everything. Once it starts, you get some chloride or sulfur, some contamination, uh, some humidity from atmospheric, you know, atmospheric oxygen and humidity like rain. And then it starts the corrosion process and all that energy starts pouring out. And it's almost impossible to stop. In fact, for the entire history of mankind, it's been impossible to stop. And that's because people always try to fight it. You know, you're trying to fight Mother Nature. She has infinite time, infinite energy, and infinite wisdom, and you're going to lose. So we decided that we would use that natural corrosion process against itself and cause it to basically cross-link on that ceramic oxygen bridge to our ceramic, and that that ceramic is immortal, right? That the ceramic will outlast our, you know, civilization. Yeah. So that steel pipe. Let me see if I get this straight. So that steel pipe is made from iron, right? And it's iron yeah. combined with carbon, right? With carbon. Yeah. yeah. And then what happens is the iron part of that steel pipe wants to revert back to its natural state, and so the molecules combine with oxygen in the air or in the water or whenever it can find oxygen, and that's yeah. reducing the iron back to iron oxide. And one of the th- the thing that you do that is so cool is y'all use that same process and you trick the iron. So instead of it bonding to the oxygen that it would normally cause it to corrode, it bonds to the oxygen that's in your coating, which is not actually a coating though, because it bonds with the steel. Yeah, that's right. It, it forms a composite, a ceramic a metallic composite. And you're right. It, it is. It, it it's basically a lure. You, you know, it, it's a trap that we're setting and using uh, Mother Nature's energy to fuel. Uh, it's exothermic, so it basically fuels the process of crosslinking to the steel. And once it once it's done, the interesting thing. When you look at it and people can pound on it and beat it and whatever, and uh, they'll, they'll run it through its paces in the real world with, a, you know, abrasion or high heat or whatever, but you cannot get that steel to rust because, it, you know, every atom, you've got a billion bonds per square inch. So you create a flexible ceramic. I mean, you can bend this stuff and it, 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 it doesn't crack. And, you know, that biomimetic response, if it's on steel, it thinks it's steel, it bends and flexes. It can go through heat cold cycles, no problem. Doesn't care about UV, doesn't care about salt or anything else. So you have this, you're basically, you've gotten rid of the steel surface. And now you're dealing with a ceramic surface that has almost no mortal enemies except for, you know, extreme concentrations of sulfuric acid over time. Yeah. So when we first met and you showed me your samples, we talked about this. The first thing I found unbelievable until I touched it was that you had ceramic that you could apply at room temperature. Yeah. The second thing, which also I thought was impossible, is that you have ceramic that is flexible. Yeah. I mean, those are two huge things that have real world applications in our industry. You know, there's a bunch of this is a heavy steel industry and corrosion is the enemy of all of us, especially the pipeline guys out there. Right. Where pipeline integrity is so critical, both to their business and to their impact to the environment. And you literally have a spring on room temperature solution to this exact thing. Yeah. And the, the fact that the particles in our material are so small, they go down to sub one nanometer, that the laws of physics don't quite apply uh, like they would with a, a big chunk of something. And so when you flex it, again, it's it's reacting on the atomic level. And it, it at the atomic level, it doesn't care if it bends or flexes. Plus, our material has a series of fibers, including carbon fiber. Carbon fiber has 10 times the strength of steel, and it's got that, you know, some other characteristics in there that make it durable against other things like microbial, microbial corrosion can never happen on our material. 
Yeah, and that microbial corrosion is a much bigger factor than most people realize. They don't realize that there are actually little bugs out there that love to consume steel. Yeah, so you, you've got 20% of all corrosion is due to MIC and probably more than that if we were honest. We just don't see it when it happens. So when you have something, when you have a fuel source, you have food. In pipelines, they add you know, you know know hot water or whatever to get the, everything to flow through the pipe, and then they pressurize it. But you've got a perfect environment. It's warm. You've got food. You've got water. You know, the bacteria are completely happy. You know, bacteria can grow in diesel and fuel and other things too in tanks, and so on. eat those up as well. So you, you've really got to create, you know, ours is an asset preservation technology. So you'll never get rid of the, all the bacteria that are in solution. You just need to preserve the asset. So if you you can preserve the steel in the pie by coating it on the inside and the outside and maybe a little on the threads, and then you just weld it, you coat it over. One of the nice things about the usability in the real world is that our coating bonds into itself. So even if you scratch some of it to repair or do a weld, you can just spray it on, come back the next day, spray on the second layer of the geoprimer, and it completely bonds back to the steel, and you're set for the next you know couple hundred years. Yeah. And Patrick, it's a, you know, you and I talked about this and, and we've talked to Benjamin at lunch is that there's the standard practice of protecting steel from corrosion onshore, offshore, whatever. And then there's the, the better way of doing it that doesn't enter our industry because we've always done it the same way. And you brought up a good point about prepping steel for painting. Go, go tell it. So. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to get into that. So the way things are actually being done now, you've got, let's, let's call your, your solution a better, better way to do things. Sure. Yeah. And let's back it up to the old way to do things. The simplest way is just chipping and painting. But when, and you've got a picture of the XL pipeline here with pipe laying out and you can see the corrosion inside the pipe. Yeah. I've been on projects where a team will come out and they'll do all the prep work. They'll, they'll chip an entire area. They'll wipe it down and then they'll get off tower, come back 12 hours later, and then they'll paint. We're not even following the practices we know cause corrosion. So you prep an area, you paint it immediately because you don't want anything in there. Why is the industry not even meeting the base standards for asset integrity and preservation? Yeah, so you get down to the concept of best available technology, right? People people are not doing something because they, they don't want to be doing it. They, they just have certain tools that are in their toolbox right now. So you've got basically two sets of tools. You've got metallizing, uh, galvanizing, and powder coating on one that's sort of in one category, the metallizing category. And you've got... Uh, Coatings, zinc primers, you know, organic paints, polyurethanes, polyureas, epoxy coatings on the other. Now, they, they both have some very significant problems, right? Organic coatings, they tend to preserve corrosion cells. They don't address contaminants like chlorate or sulfur on the surface. So they protect the corrosion, right? They, they slow it down because you're, you're blocking the atmosphere and you're, right. you're blocking other things from the surface. But they don't actually treat the surface. Now, on the metal side, you know, everything zinc is sacrificial. It, a lot of it's also porous. So, you, you know, you have to paint your metalized surface. So that, you know, it's a lot of expense. You know, metalizing is 5 to $25 a square foot. You're spending a lot of time and expense, and it's still porous, and it's still sacrificial. As, yeah, it's something you have to constantly right. upkeep or yeah, yeah. redo. And-, and the environmental downside, of course, is all the metal that sacrifices itself is now in your soil or your estuary or your waterway. So... That, you know, it's just washing out into the environment as a, as a, as an externality of your process, which is not great. So, you know, that can come back on you in various ways with regulators. So you don't want that either. So the, the trick now, you know, when, when you're doing surface prep, 
you know, the interesting, you know, flash rust happens so fast. There's humidity in the air. There's chloride in the air. There's there's all sorts of contaminants in major cities from different industrial processes. If you count to 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, the surface is already completely coated right. again. So you can clean it, but in, unless you're uh, some form of superhero, <laughs> you cannot coat it between the time it gets re, you know, re-inoculated. And that's super problematic because the organic coatings and the metallizing coatings, none of them deal effectively with contaminants and corrosion cells. Now, corrosion cells are microscopic. So you, you can have a thousand corrosion cells a, a square inch and you won't see them because they're one or two microns in diameter and you just, you know, the human eye cannot detect those things. So they're still there. They're still happy. They're still fine. They're just waiting for you like a trap. You know, and that's where something like our ceramic. So the interesting thing about the ceramic is a permanent pH of 12. So, you know, rebar doesn't rust in concrete, right? You stick rebar because it's a permanent pH of 12, 12.5. Ours is a permanent pH of 12, and it has oxygen scavengers and electron donors. So it's what's called a smart ceramic, a smart coating. So we can sense what's there, and it'll attack it. So it'll it'll attack, you know, chlorides and sulfur, bringing it up into its ceramic system and, and isolating it. It'll attack corrosion cells. It'll attach to every atom, iron atom in that corrosion cell. It'll neutralize it and even turn it back into uh, back into steel again. So, you know, our material can respond and neutralize the actual corrosion cells and contaminants themselves. And once that's done, that steel is Im- immortal. How did you come up with this solution? It seems like you're at lunch. We were talking about it. it seems like you're just yeah. you're, you're just really going through the periodic table and figuring out combinations that are gonna yeah. gonna help you in this process. Why right. is why is this new and cutting edge and, and hadn't been done before? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a great story. And part of, you know, the comments we get back, wow, it sounds too good to be true. And how come you and not, you know, Dow Chemical or some big uh, multi-billion dollar, uh, you know, these companies have spent billions, trillions, really, since the beginning of time, people have tried to fight corrosion. Uh, steel is a, just a wonderful resource for for building and construction, and it's ductile and strong, and it's a you know low cost. It's perfect. So the reason really is Dr. Balaguru who started this like twenty years ago, trying to come up at Rutgers University with a coating for self cleaning concrete, and he did some things. He made some choices at that time, which would which would just come back to be fantastic once we started taking that technology. And when I came into the company, I brought some nano ceramics and uh, some advanced ceramic materials into the process. I said, let's try this and this and see if we can't completely seal the surface of steel. And we were able to do it because we we combined, you know, two or three different technologies. But because he started where he started, he had a different perspective, right? And he had a different concept. He wasn't trying to build a coating that that stopped oxygen from flowing through it or anything else. He wanted, you know, if you look at areas in New Jersey where his stuff is on the concrete, you know, there's blue-green algae where it's not coated, and then it's immediately on that line spotless, right? Because bacteria and algae cannot grow on the, the aluminate surface of the, the geopolymer uh, coating. That coating is completely inorganic, and it uses the sunlight and oxidative forces to destroy bacteria. So when we took it and we started adding these nanoparticles, now those particles at NASA 15 years ago, they'd be $1,000 an ounce. But now 
you know, it's $100 a gallon. So it makes it doable in the industrial, you know, coating sense. And these nanoparticles, they drop in, they lose their shell, they deliver their package in a very specific way so they don't get lost in the mix and they can attack the surface of steel and polymerize both to the steel and uh, horizontally across a surface. So you get something where, you know, water, moisture can't penetrate. So the, the geoprimer, the particles are sub one nanometer and they classify at room temperature because their energy of reaction is so low. That's the joy of nanoparticles. I mean, nanotechnology is revolutionizing industry and medicine and it's revolutionizing rust. Yeah. And so I want to back this up a little bit in case we've lost some of our audience. So in the world of oil and gas, you have a lot of stuff, a lot of solids, a lot of fluids that are moved around. Pipelines are one of the most efficient ways to move this stuff around. But the problem with pipelines is integrity. And what I mean is you don't want a pipeline to break. You don't want it to rupture. And then you have to store this stuff. And it's actually stored in tanks. This is an industry that loves storing stuff in tanks. All of that stuff is an issue for the company that owns it because their infrastructure corrodes and it causes issues when the stuff fails. Literally, Benjamin, if, if I understand what you're telling me, you could come into to a, a infrastructure project and you can prevent a lot of that stuff from failing. Yeah, that's correct. And we can do things uh, because our, our material is completely inorganic. It doesn't care about UV. It doesn't care about solvents. It just doesn't care. Ceramics are like the coffee mug on your table. Fill it up with whatever you want. It doesn't care. If you left it on the table, it would be there long after you're gone and long after civilization. So the great thing about this technology is when you look at metallizing and galvanizing these other things, you can't really bring them into the field. You know, you you can't bring a big tank of 700C zinc. You know, you just can't do it. So our material can be sprayed. It can be applied with a hand brush. It's very easy to mix. It's a simple three-part system like three-part epoxy, except for it's water-based and completely non-toxic. So anybody can apply it with standard sprayer, no special training. And all of a sudden, you have a coating that you can leave out. I mean, the the best way to cure it is to leave it outside in Houston because Houston is warm and humid, and and our coating loves warm and humid. Everything that destroys organic coatings our coating loves. So so UV, humidity, and salt all help it cure. And you can leave it out for a thousand years. It's as happy as, you know, happy as a peach in the sun. So with our material, you can coat the pipes inside and out. Now we'll we'll do the testing to show that that happens. But we actually give other technologies also a place to bond to. So the the plastic coatings have a problem that they don't actually attach to steel. They can only stick to it. So we actually give the plastics something to bond to, and they can bond uh, to our surface. Our surface will neutralize the surface of steel, and then you have a composite all the way through. That's never happened before. So the steel is attached to our ceramic, and our ceramic is atomically attached to the coating. And now you have something that is takes the the best qualities of the epoxies or the you know fusion bonded epoxy or carbon fiber and epoxy, whatever that system is. And it allows it to work, you know, at its optimum level. Yeah. And so, you know, we talk a little bit about asset integrity. We talk about stuff breaking, but you also have the opposite effect, right? You keep stuff running. When when you have to go out and sandblast 100 miles of pipe and then coat it, you know, that pipe shut down and you're not flowing product means you're not making money. Right. Whereas if they bring y'all in, you come apply it one time, right? And that's it. It's it's not that every three years out there painting pipe. 
Yeah, and you got to just make sure that there's no oil or grease on the surface because our stuff is water-based, so so it'll beat it off. But yeah, that's right. And, you know, when you're putting a pipe together, it's the weld seams that are basically the critical part, right? Because the rest of it is is made in different ways. But where you have the weld seams, you have irregularity. Where you have irregularity, you can get, you know, pinpoint corrosion starting. Maybe there's a hole, so the, the coating kind of bubbles over and it traps some humidity from the air, so you get this corrosion cell that starts to be as a microscopic cell and then it starts growing and then you get you know a holiday in your coating or whatever and and the whole thing starts to decay our material fills in all the irregularities in welds and i think offering offering insurance like weld insurance right so these are where (laughs) the pipes fail so you, you got an insurance plan that's a ph 12 over that weld on the inside and out and it it cannot be a failure point and the interesting thing is it's not that it might not be a failure point or it could not be a failure point. It's that it can't be a failure point because corrosion cannot take place underneath our ceramic because of the nature of that atomic bonding and that pH. Yeah, and you talked about this earlier, but I want to kind of touch base on it again. You know, if you need to do some work on that pipe and you need to install a valve or whatever, you just grind it off. You do yeah. your work, you come back, you recode it with your coating, and your coating bonds with itself. So it's not That's a disparaged layer now. It goes back to being one universal piece of bonded. Yeah, and, you know. and all, all organic paints cold, cold joint and concrete cold joints, but ours is seamless back into itself. So ours is an inorganic system, but it's a polymer. So it, it behaves in a flexible way like a polymer, and it behaves like an inorganic material, which means you know it's inert to environmental forces or a lot of chemical attack. So it's a perfect combination. So Benjamin, what's the effect to the environment, right? So pipelines and refineries are out in the middle of nowhere, tends to be out in isolated areas. The companies are worried about their impact to the environment. If I come out and, and paint a pipe to your stuff and I spill some on the ground, what happens? Yeah, so our material basically turns into a form of granite. It is completely inert. Once it forms, it's basically a, a piece of rock. It has no toxicity to it. You can throw it out in, in the common you know, construction waste. You can put it in the trash can or you can just leave it. It's not going to hurt anything. Now, I, I think you touched on something else that's really interesting, that these pipes are out in the middle of nowhere. You know, Some of the technology for detecting leaks, you know, 1% to 3% of volume, that's a pretty sort of low-grade detection limit. So you you have other risk factors, right, that affect your company. It's not just your operational budget uh, on OPEX. It's things like your reputation. Uh, how does it affect the local environment, which may be, you know, a pristine area? Uh, how does it affect, you know, the politicians? The whole poet, priest, and politician thing, you know, it it gets to be a factor when you want to get a permit approved, and people don't like you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. look at what's happened the last couple of years here in North America. I mean, the, yeah. the writing's on the wall, especially with the anti-oil and gas activists using social media to such a great degree, where then nobody wants a pipeline in their backyard, right? And But the reason they don't want the pipeline is they're worried about the consequences if something bad happens. Well, yeah. And, and again, companies are spending just gobs of money on the detection, like you mentioned, whether it's sensors uh, retired police dogs are sniffing out uh, leaks in pipelines. They're using drone technology to to track these pipelines and yeah. And, yeah. and look for leaks. So we, the, as an industry, we we're worried about the environment and we're spending a lot of money on leak detection. But if there's something as simple as just changing the um, for just so let's just call it paint, we're changing the paint to something that's better than paint. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like a no brainer. Again, I'm I'm surprised that it's 
taken this long for it to really come take hold. But again, uh, you said, you know, yeah, back so, when it was developed, so, the cost. So I, I'm going to back you up on the pain issue. And so what we, we call ourselves, it's a ceramic surface treatment. So we go on like paint, but it's a ceramic surface treatment. It, it's something new. And I, we, we say that because we want people to start thinking in a different way about sustainability and pipelines. And we are focused on pipelines and tanks because that's our go-to-market strategy. Now, you know, out in the field in the environment was the Intermountain Pipeline right now. It's a $7 billion project. It, you know, it's getting stopped in, in, in Western uh, Canada because n- nobody wants these downside environmental effects. But that, let's be clear. Pipelines are by far the safest way to transport fluids. The railroads are not set up to handle that kind of volume. You know, you have you know, these big accidents. The railroads themselves are covered with rust, and they're not well-regulated or maintained. So why would you, you know, you, you can't rely on that system. You don't want it on the roads. You know, the level of congestion would just, it just doesn't work. There's not enough freeway space. So if you've got to do pipes, if people had that extra, you know, right now 50% of all pipeline failures are corrosion-related or more. So no matter, you know, and all the technologies coming from the 50s and 70s, so it, it's just due for a correction, you know, it's due for disturbance. What, what's the word uh, that they use in tech when you're, when something- Disruptor. Is, yeah, it's, it's due for disruption, right? And you have these other factors, you cannot insure against, you know, you, you can insure against simple accidents, but you can't really, insurance is just one way to affect business, right? You can't really insure against loss of life. You can't really re- insure against loss of reputation. So- if you had, you know, the Indian tribes up in Dakotas where you've had all these spills and leaks when they, you know, supposed to be the permit says, you know, one leak every seven to 12 years and they've got 14 leaks on Excel and, you know, four leaks in in, in, in less than two years. You know, it, it's just not working because it needs an upgrade and people need to look at things in a more holistic way. Yeah. So, Benjamin, we're getting close to kind of winding down the show. It's time for the Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week. Do you have a safety tip for us, for our audience? Uh, yeah. Look, uh, you know, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. If it's in the ground or if it's under insulation, you know, check out the pipe, you know, corrosion under insulation. You've got an ideal condition for microbial growth. you got food, heat, salt, water. You know, they're very happy under that corrosion. Uh, of course, our tech gets rid of Yeah, that's a great tip. <laughs> and Benjamin, see that bag that you were looking at earlier? That's right down there. That's the Red Wing Offshore Bag. It has become a cult item. People offer us unbelievably gobs of cash for that thing. If you'd like to win one, it's really simple. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in and we give away one lucky winner a week. Benjamin can enter. Unfortunately, Patrick and I can't, but audience, you can. So go do it. I've got my bag already. Me too, actually. <laughs> LinkedIn group, you want to find out what's going on, go join OGG on LinkedIn. If you go to the website, oilandgashse.com, give us your email address. Uh, we promise not to spam you, and we will let you know the secret stuff we're doing that we don't even know about yet because it's, quite frankly, secret. We have events coming up. Uh, we got LNG in uh, Shanghai, China. Patrick, you must have put this in here. We, it was our wish list when we were planning our event, so we're probably not going to make that one in yeah. April. BPMS 150 in April. That one we will be at. Yep. And then we got a whole bunch of other stuff. If you want to find out about these events and more, uh, we put out a monthly newsletter for free where we put all the oil and gas events in one place and we give you free stuff like passes and secret stuff that nobody knows about. We'll put a link in the show notes. Go sign up for that. That's, uh, that's a, a great tool for you, everybody out there. Benjamin, man, it's been really great having you on the show. This has been fascinating stuff. I can tell you have a passion around this. If people want to learn more about your company, where should they go? 
Yeah, go to zirconia.global. We have a page there if you want to send me a message and we'll, we'll get back to you with some additional information. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes so you don't and have to be... And just an cool. awesome tagline, Zirconia, the end of rust. <laughs> the end of rust. That's and right. I would say they could, people could reach out to you on LinkedIn, but you said you're not a real big LinkedIn user, are you? No, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Oh, now that, he's a big fun. LinkedIn yeah, user. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll put, a, we'll put a link for Benjamin's uh, uh, LinkedIn profile. This has been great. Patrick, you ready to get out of here? I think that's everything. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond What's the craziest thing you've seen in the field? I think the craziest thing I've seen in the field right now is, is the way they build the XL pipeline where they're inoculating the bacteria, you know, leaving the pipelines open. I, I think they, they need to put some money in CapEx for having a sterilization process and caps on the pipes uh, before they weld them so they're not inoculating it with all the local bacteria and food stuff and dirt and debris. I think that's just something that doesn't work. And people people need to think more in a scientific way. You know, we, we don't want a cancer diagnosis of MIC on our pipelines. We, we need them to be safe and secure and protect the environment. But we know this. Right? We all know. <laughs> we just don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> they, they still do it like they did it yesterday, and it's time to get their mind right. Yeah, I agree.